0: Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon
1: Joined on the star line by the comedian to watch one last comic standing you've seen him on Superstore Netflix's Gentified and his many specials it's our friend Felipe Esparza what's up fool what's up fool what's up everybody in Texas Good to talk to you again, brother. Let's go beyond the mic. Your Netflix dual comedy specials, Bad Decisions and Malas de Yeah, you got it right, are out. It's the first time Netflix a comedian has recorded a stand up special, two languages, yeah. released simultaneously. Why was this important to
0: you? For me, it was important because I wanted to send uh, the American style of stand up, you know, the way we do it, to Latin America countries. Because we do it like, you know, we do it, we've been doing it forever. American style stand-up comedy in English All the way from, you know From Jack Parr To um Hannibal Buress To Joe Rogan They cook, you know All the greats You know, they do it in English I wanted to, like Take that style of stand-up To Latin America Because they do it differently You know, they still do, like A lot of storytelling A lot of the old school bad, you know, A lot of characters But I wanted to bring, like, the our flavor, you know, my my um East LA heritage, Boyle Heights, you know, our little coolness out there in Spanish.
1: Has your time growing up in LA helped or hurt the development of the special?
0: I grew up speaking English from the uh, from one year old to five year old fluently, and then when I once I started school, I had to pick up English or or get left behind. I just learned how to pick English and never really focused on speaking Spanish, or reading Spanish. All that I learned on my own, by trial and error. So when I did the special, I didn't really, I wasn't, I realized that I was fluent in Spanish. My my Spanish was as good as a five year old. So I had to go to Mexico to do stand-up comedy, because here, when I was doing it in Spanish in, in America, my fans were laughing, even though I, I was messing up words, and I was messing up a lot of words in Spanish. But once I got to Mexico, all that stopped. People were more fluent in Spanish and English over there. And every time I messed up, they didn't laugh. They just stood quiet or they yell out the correct word. Like they yell out stuff like in Spanish. You say it like this, not
1: like that. Was that hard to get used to it when was. you're going to a Los Angeles comic club and everyone's laughing at you and you've got everyone looking at you and there's nothing but blank stares like, you idiot.
0: Yes. I had to it was tough, man, because I thought that I knew Spanish, but the only Spanish I knew was the Spanish that we speak in the southwest, you know, which is a mixture of Spanish and English, Spanglish, Chiconics. There were a lot of words that I was saying in Spanish that don't exist in the real Spanish language. It don't even exist in slang. It's a made up word that someone made up in California and somehow it's read all over America, and it's the wrong word, like the word parking. I've been saying parquealo all my life. And when I get to Mexico or Spanish speakers, parquealo is not a a word. The real word is estacionalo, which for me, I'm not used to saying that word, so I couldn't even say it anymore. I just talked with parquealo, so I finally got rid of the whole joke and didn't, didn't even say it.
1: Was it hard to create an act that played both in Spanish and English?
0: Was it hard to create an act that worked both ways? Yes. Why was that? Because I have a lot of play on words, nuances and puns in English that don't cross over in Spanish and vice versa. When I wrote a joke in Spanish that was play on words, it didn't work in English at all. So I just took to the basics, you know, like talk about me and try not to change too many words so everybody could understand.
1: Before the COVID shutdown, you taped the special. Watching it now, do you wish you did something different or are you pleased with how it turned out?
0: Watching it now, I, I'm, I'm pretty pleased, you know. But as a comedian and an artist, you're never like 100% complete, you know. You always want to add stuff. That's like the hard part, you know, not adding or taking away stuff from it. But in the end, I was very, very happy with the Spanish set. I felt like I... I accomplished something, and I was very proud of myself.
1: You went to Mexico, and you actually opened up to help develop the set.
0: Yes, I didn't know I didn't have a lot of a lot of uh, minutes in in Spanish to do stand-up. I Only have five minutes, so I had to go um, to San Diego to the Comedy Palace, and there was a, a headliner from Mexico who sold out two shows, and she was nice enough to let me open. And I kept going to that club three times a month. So I got comfortable with um, 45 minutes, Um, Sean. But I I had, there was a comedian named Joel, Joel Sotomayor, and he listened to my whole set and recorded it, and um, transcribed verbatim all the words from English to Spanish.
1: How did that make you feel that someone was willing to help you? You're a star in your own right, and yet they're willing to help you even become better.
0: I thought that was awesome, man. I think that's the way uh, most of the comedy community is. You know, if you find the right people, they're always nice to you. You know, they help you out and give you good advice. The guys from Mexico and Tijuana, Mexico, they're all young comics, and they have a really good thing going over there. It's like the beginning of the comedy boom that we had in the 80s over there. It's fairly new to Mexico. But it's been around forever.
1: I love following you on social media. Some funny stuff like the dreams that you start in a karate crime movie called Drunken Maestro. You know, do you remember your dreams? I had a, I had a dream once that I, I I
0: performed in front of David Letterman. And then I went to go play the piano with Paul McCartney. And that never happened. <laughs> I mean, is that what happened? That would have been amazing, you know. But it was I thought that was a, a cool dream. But I've had dreams where I'm on stage and I forget all my jokes. I have nightmares about that up now. I have a dream that I'm on stage and I totally forget all my whole act. And I remember that I had that dream when I was working on the Spanish set. That I went up on stage and I was ready and I had nothing. And I couldn't even speak the language.
1: That must have been real scary. When you recorded the special, did you record it and you go, oh, no, no, that was not good? Or did you have it all set? Were you all ready to go?
0: I had to do four shows. I had to do two shows on um, one night and two shows in Spanish the second night. So after the first show, I had um, Netflix, my manager, my wife, Lisa O'Daniel Esparza, run up to me at the end of each show and give me notes. You forgot this joke. Oh, man. Damn. I forgot that joke. And then I was fixing the second show. But when I did the Spanish show, they kept telling me to do this one joke. And I forgot them both shows because I was so excited. So I regret that.
1: Your podcast, What's Up Fool, is over 300 episodes. How has that project helped you with your comedy?
0: My Having a podcast and being at 300 episodes has helped me talk freely with people and, and it, it made me a better interviewer and interviewee because I see the way when I interview people and they, they pause or they give me short answers that don't work. I learned now that um, if I give a, be- a good answer or explain my, my the answer, people will resonate to what I'm talking and listen more to the next question or listen more to what I got to say. And being a guest on podcasts has helped me open up about my life and find the humor and the sadness and the dark times.
1: And we've talked about those sadness and dark times in previous episodes. Returning to the road for shows again, you did one set in Oklahoma City. How nice was it to feel the sounds of laughter again?
0: Man, when the first comedian went up on stage, the host, Rodrigo Torres, he came, somebody ran up to him and gave him a hug after his set. I've never seen an opener or a host who was set and have people get up and congratulate him and tell him, thank you. The crowd was telling him, Oh, good job. Thank you. They were tapping up on the back. Thank you for being here. And the second comedian went up, Martin Rizzo. He did like 20 minutes. They were like, they never seen him before. They were like happy to see him because they only heard him on the podcast. They don't know what he looked like. But when I went up there, man, everything I said, they were happy. I mean, they were, I felt like at the end of the show, I, I, I had to take a moment, you know, because I was overwhelmed. You know, when you're so happy, you know, like when, like, like when you're so proud of something, and you cannot help it, but you get a little teary eye. That's how I was. Like, I'm back home, man. going man. not I'm this place.
1: With two new Netflix specials out, what's the next project you're working on? Are you still in sitcom development mode?
0: My wife and I were in development for our sitcom based on our lives last year, but we didn't get a, we didn't get picked up for a pilot. So this year, I'm working with um, Omar Chaparro, who is a Mexican comedian actor from Mexico, which he is super famous in Mexico. And I'm working with Eric Tannenbaum. He was on that show from T B S. Two and a Half Men. And I'm working with Craig Doyle, who was a producer and writer of... Um, the last OG, and blackish, and uh, grownish, and also Trespass. So we have a lot of, a big, big team this time. You know, we have big people. You know, we have Eric Tannenbaum, Craig Doyle, Trespass. You, 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 Henry you, your best. We have a, uh, a, a good backing, and hopefully it's not going to happen this time.
1: What have you spent COVID shutdown time doing? Is it just sitting there, you know, making you know, hot dogs on, uh, on the grill, or, I mean, I mean, I mean.
0: (laughs) You saw (laughs) that, What I, what I've been doing, Sean, and at first, I went through all my Audible books. You know, I read a lot of books. I like to, I like books on, on food, you know, the history of food. One of the first books I read was the history of soul food in America, you know, the, the beginnings of soul food. And then I had another book called, um, Fortune Cookie, I think. Or, and it's, and it's, um, the history of when Chinese food arrived to America and how Chinese food got started. And, but lately I, I bought a keyboard. I bought a keyboard, a 61 keyboard and 61 um, keys. And I've been learning how to play the abusey. And um, Nocturne Number 9. Because I took piano in high school, but I never bought a piano. But I did learn how to read music, but I never took practice, never got back into it. But since COVID, I bought a piano, a keyboard, and I've been practicing my classical music again. I'm good with one hand.
1: (laughs) Is your wife ready for you to hit the road again?
0: My wife is is, um, ready for everything to get back to normal. She's ready for her son to go back to school, too. She's been doing other schooling here. She's like the dean. She's like the principal, the guiding counselor. She has an MBA. Me, I don't have an MBA. I barely have a GED. I'm the custodian, the janitor of the school. <laughs> it's funny, Sean, um, whenever my son doesn't want to do his homework, she looks at me. She goes, You better do your homework, or you're going to be like that loser that's cleaning this school all day. <laughs>
1: oh brother it's always good to hear from you time's running out so it's time for the rocking eight eight random oh, questions answer with the first thing here we go answer with the first thing that comes to your mind there is no pressure last thing you cooked
0: uh, uh, I ate, uh, quesadilla
1: funniest comedian you've ever worked with
0: know, Burris.
1: favorite comic book superhero oh man
0: Batman uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali it was a giant comic book
1: Last friend you had a Zoom call with?
0: Bill Burr and um, Burr Kreischer. Bill Burr Podcast.
1: Person you want to give a hug to now?
0: My daughter. It's her birthday today and she lives in Sweden.
1: What's the one thing you don't get enough of? Coffee. Are you neat or messy?
0: Oh, man. I'm messy, but sometimes I'm in between. I could be messy or I don't know if I'll play a word on neat neat and messy, but I'm messy.
1: Meat? Nessie or Meat, what is your most prized possession?
0: My most prized possession. I have a painting here that I bought from a kid I grew up with, and he's been a, he's a known painter now, and I bought it off him. I think it was more than I thought it would be. But um, it's very beautiful, and I, I bought two of his paintings already. And he used to work for um, Angelica Houston's husband, my friend, he was his assistant, Robert Graham. When I first started off as a young kid, I went to rehab, and then I decided to be a comedian, you know, like I did the open mics. My friend, um, Juan Carlos Munoz, he had an apprenticeship with Angel- Angelica Huston's husband, Robert Graham, and he learned how to make statues, um, carve stone, and he's already known artist now, and I'm very happy and proud that I bought his painting.
1: What message do you have for your fans? Keep
0: hope alive love each other and we're, we're going to all get through this and we're going to go back on stage we're going to eat outside we're all going to be happy again and you know what I miss I miss arguing with, people, with strangers you do yeah I no. miss that face to face contact with people you know when, when I bump into somebody and oh excuse me
1: I'm sorry Are you tired of washing your hands yet? I don't think I have fingerprints anymore. You can never get enough of coffee. He is very neat or messy. He's messy pretty much. And his dual-language comedy specials are out on Netflix right now. Our friend Felipe Esparza. Thank you, brother, so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.